This is a special September 11th Keeping Democracy Alive. It's up to us, to you and I, to keep democracy alive. It wasn't kept alive on September 11th, 1973, 50 years ago. For we Americans, September 11th means one thing, but it means something else, something of similar uh, earth-shaking importance that happened 50 years ago, September 11th, 1973. Fifty years later, as Chileans and the world commemorate the anniversary of the U.S.-backed military takeover that brought General Augusto Pinochet to power, a fierce debate over the extent of the U.S. contribution to the coup continues. On September 6th, a leading Chilean television channel broadcast a major documentary film titled Operation Chile, Top Secret, seeking, seeking, uh, featuring National Security Archive's Chile documentary, documentation project, including recently obtained documents published in the new Chilean edition of uh, National Security Archive analyst Peter Kornblus' book, Pinochet Declassificado. On the 50th anniversary, the archive is posting an edited section of his book, The Pinochet File, on Countdown Toward the Coup. This essay records the U.S. government actions, internal debates, and policy deliberations as considerations for the coup evolved between March and September 1973, when Nixon and Kissinger were in power. This is an intricate, complicated, and extraordinarily revealing history, Kornbluth said, that holds many lessons on the secret abuses of U.S. power and the dangers of dictatorship over democracy for today's world community. Yes, we're talking about dictatorship over democracy. Mm, does that sound familiar or what? Today, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm Bert Cohen, and this is Keeping Democracy Alive. And I'm going to read you some excerpts from this book, and then we'll hear from Peter Kornblut down in Chile celebrating the 50th and commemorating the 50th anniversary of the September 11th coup, which did away with democracy and brought in a brutal military dictatorship. September 12, 1973, a day after the military violently took power, State Department officials met to discuss press guidelines for Henry Kissinger on how much advance notice we had on the coup. Mm -hmm. Assistant Secretary for Inter-American Affairs Jack Kubish noted that one Chilean military official had told the embassy that the plotters had withheld from the U.S. supporters the exact date they would move against Allende. But Kubish said he doubted Dr. Kissinger would use this information for it would reveal our close contact with coup leaders. In the months leading up to the coup, the CIA and the Pentagon had extensive contacts with Chilean plotters through various assets and agents and at least three days' advanced knowledge of a concrete date for a military takeover. Their communications derived from refocused covert operations targeting the military after the March 1973 congressional elections in Chile. The dismal electoral outcome convinced many CIA officials that political and propaganda operations had failed to achieve their goals and that the Chilean military, as the agency document suggested, was the final solution posed by the election of socialist, democratic socialist, uh, Salvador Allende's popular unity alliance. 
In the spring, until the spring of 1973, political operations and propaganda generated by El Mercurio and other CIA-funded media outlets focused on a major political opposition campaign to decisively win the March 4th congressional elections when all Chilean representatives and half the Chilean senators were up for re-election. The CIA's maximum goal was to gain a two-thirds majority for the opposition in order to be able to impeach Allende. Its minimum goal was to prevent popular unity from obtaining a clear majority of the electorate. Actions taken by the CIA in the 1973 elections have made a contribution to slowing down the socialization of Chile, proclaimed a briefing on Chile elections written at CIA Langley headquarters. Uh, The reality was quite different, as both the CIA headquarters and the Santiago station understood. In the first national test of its popularity since Allende took office, his popular unity government had actually increased its electoral strength, despite concerted CIA political action. A massive, covert, anti-Allende propaganda campaign and a U.S.-directed socioeconomic destabilization program. Uh, Carrying democracy everywhere. The UP program still appeals to a sizable portion of the Chilean electorate, the station lamented in one cable. The CIA now had to reassess its entire clandestine strategy in Chile. Future options, cabled on March 6th, now being reviewed in light of disappointing election results, which will enable Allende and his party to push their program with renewed vigor and enthusiasm. Yes, democracy can be frustrating to those who are against it. The station, now under the direction of a new chief of station, Ray Warren, took a forceful position on what future options would be necessary. Mm -hmm. In a pivotal March 14th post-mortem on the congressional elections, the CIA station articulated plans to reinforce its focus on the military program. We feel that during the foreseeable future, stations should give emphasis to covert activity to widen our contacts, knowledge, and capability in order to bring about one of the following situations. One, consensus by leaders of armed forces, whether they remain in government or not, of the need to move against the regime. Station believes we should attempt to induce as much of the military as possible, if not all, to take over and displace the Allende government. Two, secure and meaningful relationship with a serious military planning group should a restudy of the armed forces groups indicate that that would-be plotters are in fact serious about their intentions and that they have the necessary capabilities, Station would wish to establish a single secure channel with such elements for purposes of dialoguing and once basic data on their collective capabilities is obtained, seek headquarter authorization to enter into expanded role. At the same time, Station, remember this is the CIA, also reaffirmed the need to refocus attention on creating a coup climate, the long-standing goal of U.S. policy. Say that again, the refocus attention on creating a coup climate, the long-standing goal of U.S. policy. While the Station anticipates giving additional impetus to our military program, Other political power centers, political parties, business community, media, will play an essential support role in creating the political atmosphere which would allow us to accomplish these objectives. Given the outcome of the election results, Station feels the creation of a renewed atmosphere, creation, that is, of a renewed atmosphere of political unrest. 
creation of political unrest. Mm -hmm. And controlled crisis must be achieved in order to stimulate serious consideration for intervention on the part of the military. Plans are in action. Station's gung-ho position, which clearly influenced its attitude and actions on the ground in Chile, was supported by a number of hardliners within Western the Western Hemisphere Directorate, who pushed for a far more aggressive, violent approach, an approach that clearly did not count saving democracy in Chile as an objective, you think? In a bald and blunt internal challenge to the strategy of pursuing political operations, on April 17th, a group of CIA officers sent a memorandum to the White House uh, on policy objectives for Chile, calling for cutting covert support the mainstream opposition party, such support lulled those parties into believing they could survive until the 1976 election, so that it, they, they didn't want democracy uh, to continue. Moreover, if the CIA helped the opposition Christian Democrats win in 76, the authors argued, it would be a Pyrrhic victory because the, uh, they would pursue leftist communitarian policies. Can't have that. Instead, the CIA, they go on to say, should directly seek to develop the conditions which would be conducive to military actions. This involved large-scale support to the terrorist elements in Chile, among them Patria y Libertad and the militant elements of the National Party over a fixed time frame, six to nine months, during which, every, which time every effort will be made to promote economic chaos, escalate political tensions, and induce a climate of desperation in which the uh, people generally come to desire military intervention. In which the people generally come to desire military intervention. Ideally, it would succeed in inducing the military to take over the government completely. But the position of the station and the hardliners at Langley, at the CIA headquarters, was not shared by the State Department nor by key senior CIA officials who feared the consequences of precipitous military action and believed in the prudence of caution given the ongoing Congressional Committee investigation into international telephone and telegraph and covert operations in Chile. Anybody remember that? There was disagreement on a number of fundamental and strategic questions, such as could the Chilean military be counted on to act against Allende? Should the CIA be encouraging violent demonstrations through covert funding of militant groups before knowing for sure that the military would not move to put down the demonstrators? Given the current congressional inquiry on the CIA in Chile, did the risks of exposure outweigh potential gains of working directly with the militant private sector and the Chilean military to sponsor a coup? These questions were discussed repeatedly as the process of formulating the agency's fiscal year 1974 proposals and budget uh, for covert action became grounds for a significant internal debate kept secret for 27 years over the strategic nuances of U.S. intervention in Chile. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here talking about what led up to the September 11th coup in 1973 in Chile, of the U.S. destroying democracy. Yes, nothing brand new. The State Department, back to the report from the uh, National Security Agency. The State Department, led by a new Assistant Secretary for Inter-American Affairs, Jack Kubish, opposed the station's desire to foment a coup through direct support for the Chilean military or collaboration with extremist private sector groups. 
along with Ambassador Nathaniel Davis, who replaced Edwin Corey in mid-1971, Kubish preferred to concentrate covert action on an opposition victory in the 1976 elections. In addition, and we're talking 1973 here. In addition, CIA officers at headquarters, such as former Chile Task Force Director David Atlee Phillips, who would return to Chile operations as the new chief of Western Hemisphere Division in June of 73, well remembered the Schneider fiasco and remained skeptical of the Chilean military's commitment to a coup. See, they were concerned that they might have a little free will down in Chile in the, in the military, and the, the U.S. wanted to direct it and make it happen. Cables from headquarters to Santiago reflected their uncertainty over whether the Chilean military would be more likely to move against the government than to move against street demonstrators and strikers than the station wanted to support. Promoting large-scale protests such as a strike, cautioned a March 6th cable from Langley, should be avoided, as should any action which might provoke military reaction against the opposition. In March uh, 31, 1973 budget proposal, covert actions for Chile, fiscal year 1974 headquarters argued that although we should keep all options open, including a possible future coup, we should recognize that the ingredients for a successful coup are unlikely to materialize regardless of the amount of money expended. Thus, we should avoid encouraging the private sector to initiate action likely to produce either an abortive coup or a bloody civil war. We should make it clear that we will not support a coup attempt unless it becomes clear that such a coup would have the support of most of the armed forces, as well as the Chilean opposition democratic parties. On May 1st, 1973, Langley CIA headquarters sent a cable to the chief of station Warren stating, We wish to defer any consideration of action program designed to stimulate military intervention until we have more definite evidence that the military is prepared to move and that opposition, including the PDC, would support a coup attempt. The chief of the station responded with a request that the headquarters postpone its request for fiscal year 1974 funding until the proposal could be redrafted to reflect the current Chilean realities. The most militant parts of the opposition, including the CIA-supported organizations such as El Mercurio and the National Party, the station reported, were mobilizing to foment a coup. The planning focus and action of all the opposition forces is on that, that period immediately ahead rather than on 1976. Aha! If we are to maximize our influence and help the opposition in the way it needs help, we should work within this trend rather than try to oppose and counter it by trying to get the opposition as a whole to focus on the distant and tenuous goal of 1976. In sum, we should... We believe uh, the orientation and focus of our operational effort should be on military intervention. They were impatient. They didn't want to wait till 76 and take a chance. They wanted to overthrow the democratically elected government then and now. So on April 10th, it goes on to say, the Western Hemisphere Division did secure the approval from CIA Director James Schlesinger, remember him, for accelerated efforts against the military target. Oh, I see. It's war. It's not democracy. It's war. These covert actions, according to a May 7th memorandum to Schlesinger from White House Division Chief Theodore Shackley, were 
designed to better monitor any coup plotting and to bring our influence to bear on key military commanders so that they might play a decisive role on the side of the coup forces when and if the Chilean military decides to, uh, on its own to act against Allende. So they were so determined to make it happen. Headquarters authorized the Santiago station to move ahead against military target <laughs> in terms of developing additional sources and promise to seek appropriations for an expanded military program when we have much more solid evidence that the military is prepared to act and has a reasonable chance of succeeding. They were bound and determined. The Chilean High Command provided evidence that the military was not yet ready to act on June 29th when several rogue units of the Chilean armed forces deployed to take over the presidential palace known as La Moneda. In his secret sit-rep number one for President Nixon, Kissinger, who was just an advisor, he wasn't in the State Department as of yet, reported that Chilean army units had launched an attempted coup against the government of Salvador Allende. Later that day, Kissinger sent Nixon another memo, Attempted Chilean Rebellion Ends, noting that the coup attempt was an isolated and poorly coordinated effort and that the leaders of all three branches of the military remained loyal to the government. The failed coup attempt reinforced the hand of cautious U.S. policymakers who opposed a more activist CIA role to directly support the Chilean military. Gathering strength. This ongoing internal debate led to a delay in approval for the CIA's fiscal year 74 covert action budget as the CIA and the State Department worked out compromises on how funding authorizations would be used in Chile. Finally, on August 20th, we're getting there, the 40 Committee, an interagency group charged with overseeing covert operations, interesting group, authorized via telephone, $1 million for clandestine funding to opposition political parties and private sector organizations. Now, I remember 1973, $1 million is some real money for opposition political parties. It designated a contingency fund also for the uh, private sector operations that could only be spent with approval from Ambassador Davis. Within three days, the station was pressing for approval to use this money to sustain strikes and street demonstrations, as well as to orchestrate a takeover from within, pushing the military to take key position in Allende's cabinet, where they could wield the power of the state and reduce him to a figurehead president. Quote, events are moving very fast, and military attitudes are likely to be decisive at this moment, the station cabled on August 24th. It's a time when significant defense uh, events and or pressures could affect Allende's future. In Washington, the next day, CIA Director William Colby sent a memo to Kissinger submitting the station's arguments word for word and requesting authorization to move forward with the funds. The memo, proposed covert financial support of Chilean private sector, used language designed to assuage State Department sensitivities. There was and uh, does remain competition between uh, uh, the uh, rogue forces in the CIA and the State Department. There certainly were divisions back then, and they continue to this day. The Santiago station could not be working directly with the armed forces in an attempt to bring about a coup, nor would its support to the overall opposition forces have this as a result, Colby submitted, but he added this caveat. Realistically, of course, a coup could result from increased opposition pressure on the Allende government. 
By then, the CIA had multiple and promising reports of coup plotting. In mid-August, they had dispatched a veteran agent to Santiago to assess the situation. He cabled back that in the past several weeks, we have again received increased reporting of plotting and have seen a variety of dates listed for possible coup attempt. Tick, tick, tick. One report noted that military plotters had chosen July 7th as the target date for another coup attempt, but that date was now being postponed because of the opposition of Commander-in-Chief Carlos Pretz, as well as the difficulty in lining up key army regiments in the Santiago area. According to the CIA source, Key problems for the military plotters is now how to overcome this vertical command impediment. One way would be for the plotting army generals to meet with General Pratt's advise him he no longer enjoyed the confidence of the army high command and thus remove him. The plotter's choice to replace Pratt's at the time of the coup d'etat is to be attempted. Is General Manuel Torres, commander of the 5th Army Division and the 3rd Ranking Army General. The plotters do not regard General Augusto Pinochet, who was the second most senior officer in the army, as a suitable replacement for Pratt's. This is Pinochet, under such conditions. In late July, the CIA reported that a coordinated coup plan was near completion. The plotters were still dealing with the Pratt's problem. The only way to remove Pratt's, the station noticed, uh, noted, would appear to be by abduction or assassination. Okay, with the memory of the affair of the former army commander, Rene Schneider, ever-present in their minds, it would be difficult for the plotters to bring themselves to carry out such an act. The CIA also reported that the military was attempting to coordinate its takeover with the Truck Owners Federation, remember that, which was about to initiate a massive trucker strike. The violent strike, which paralyzed the country through the month of August, became a key factor in creating the coup climate the CIA had long sought in Chile. The truckers' strike, violent strike, uh, and the various noise that they made, banging pots and pans all over the country to disrupt uh, life uh, as normal. Other factors included the decisions by the leadership of the Christian Democrats, conservative party, to abandon negotiations with the government of Allende and to work instead toward a military coup. In a CIA progress report dated early July, the station noted that there has been increasing acceptance of the part of uh, Christian Democrat leaders that a military coup of intervention is probably essential to, com- uh, to, a compl- pr- to prevent a complete Marxist takeover in Chile. While PDC, the Christian Democratic parties, do not openly concede that their political decisions and tactics are intended to create the circumstances to provoke uh, military intervention station assets, report that privately that this is generally accepted political fact. The Christian Democrat position, in turn, prompted the traditionally moderate Chilean Communist Party to conclude that political accommodation with the mainstream opposition was no longer feasible and to adopt a more militant position, creating deep divisions with Allende's own coalition. Uh, Dividing the left, what a great strategy. Works most of the time. The military's hardline refusal to accept Allende's offer of certain cabinet posts also accelerated political tensions. The feeling that something must be done seems to be spreading 
CIA headquarters observed in an analytical report on consequences of a military coup in Chile. The resignation of Commander-in-Chief Carlos Prats in late August after... If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, reading a report from the National Security Archive written by our later guest on the show, Peter Kornblum, uh, about the events leading up to uh, the coup in Chile. Uh, and it's a little bit different, but it was on September 11th, 1973. We are celebrating the 50th anniversary. So it goes on to say, the resignation of Commander-in-Chief Carlos Prats in late August, after an intense public smear campaign led by El Mercurio, so locally it would be known as Fox so-called news, and the Chilean right wing eliminated the final obstacle for a successful coup. So their uh, right wing uh, media was uh, a, a player in all this. Like his predecessor, General Schneider, Pratt's had upheld a constitutional role of the Chilean military, blocking younger officers who wanted to intervene in Chile's political process. Uh, somebody in the military who cared about democracy. It happens. In an August 25th intelligence report stamped, Top Secret, the Defense Intelligence Agency noted that the ultimate departure of Pratt's has removed the main factor mitigating against a coup. Time goes on. On August 31st, U.S. military sources within the Chilean army were reporting that the army is united behind a coup, and key Santiago regimental commanders have pledged their support. So it's all lining up. Efforts are said to be underway to complete coordination among the three services, but no date has been set for a coup attempt. By then, the Chilean military had established a special coordination team made up of three representatives of each of the services and carefully selected right-wing civilians. In a series of secret meetings on September 1st and 2nd, this team presented a complete plan for overthrowing the Allende government to the heads of the Chilean Army, Air Force, and Navy. The incipient junta approved the plan and set September 10th as the target date for the coup. According to a review of coup plotting obtained by the CIA, the general who replaced Carlos Prats as commander-in-chief, General Augusto Pinochet, was chosen to be the head of the group and would determine the hour for the coup to begin. On September 8th, both the CIA and the DIA alerted Washington that a coup was imminent and confirmed the date of September 10th. A DIA intelligence summary stamped top secret reported that the three services have reportedly agreed to move against the government on 10 September, and civilian terrorist and right-wing groups will allegedly support the effort. So here we are acknowledging that the U.S. is supporting terrorist and right-wing groups. In 1973, the CIA reported that the Chilean Navy would initiate a move to overthrow the government at 8.30 a.m. on September 10th, and that Pinochet has said that the Army will not oppose the Navy's action. On September 9th, Station updated its coup countdown. A member of the CIA's covert act, uh, agent team in Santiago, Jack Devine, received a call from an asset who was fleeing the country. It is going to happen on the 11th, as Devine recalled the conversation. His report, distributed to Langley headquarters on September 10th, stated, A coup attempt will be initiated on 11 September. All three branches of the armed forces and the Carabineros are involved in this action. A declaration will be read 
on Radio Agricultura at 7 a.m. on 11 September. The Carabineros have the responsibility of seizing President Salvador Allende. That's the police. According to Donald Winters, a CIA high-ranking agent in Chile at the time of the coup, the understanding was that they, the Chilean military, would do it when they were ready and at the final moment tell us what it was going to happen. On the eve of the push, however, at least one sector of the coup plotters became nervous about what would happen if fighting became protracted and the takeover did not go as planned. On the night of September 10th, as the military quietly assumed positions to violently take power the next day, a key officer of the Chilean military group planning to overthrow President Allende, as CIA headquarters described him, contacted a U.S. official, remains unclear whether it was a CIA defense or embassy officer, and asked if the U.S. government would come to the aid of the Chilean military if the situation became difficulty. Would the U.S. directly intervene on behalf of the coup? The officer was assured that his question would promptly be made known to Washington, according to a highly classified memo sent by David Atlee Phillips to Henry Kissinger on September 11th as the coup was in progress. So the fact that they were considering direct U.S. involvement, well, boots-on-the-ground involvement, because there is direct involvement. At the time of the coup, both the State Department and the CIA were making the contingency plans for U.S. assistance if the military move appeared to be failing. On September 7th, Assistant Secretary Kubish reported to state and CIA officers that high-level department officials had discussed Chile and determined the following. If there should be a coup attempt, which appears likely to be successful and satisfactory from our standpoint, we will stand off. But if there should be a coup which might be viewed as favorable, but which appears to be in danger of failure, we may want a capability for influencing the situation. Kubish tasked the CIA to give this problem attention. Well, the issue proved to be irrelevant. Chile's coup d'etat was close to perfect. Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Ryan, head of the U.S. military group in Valparaiso, reported that Uh, In a report to Washington, by 8 a.m. on September 11, the Chilean Navy had secured the port town of Valparaiso and announced that the popular unity government was being overthrown. In Santiago, Carabinero forces were supposed to detain President Allende at his residence, but he managed to make his way to La Moneda, Chile's White House, and began broadcasting radio messages for workers and students to come and defend your government against the armed forces. As our, so it wasn't so easy. As army tanks surrounded La Maneda, firing on its walls, Hunter Hawker jets lined, launched a pinpoint rocket attack on Allende's offices at around noon, killing many of his guards. Another aerial strafing attack accompanied the military's ground effort to make the inner courtyard uh, of the Maneda at 1.30 p.m. During the fighting, the military repeatedly demanded that President Allende surrender and made a perfunctory offer to fly him and his family out of the country. In a now-famous audio tape of General Pinochet issuing instructions to his troops via radio communications on September 11th, he is heard to laugh and swear that that plane will never land. What does that make you think of? Forecasting the savagery of his regime, Pinochet added, Kill the bitch, and you eliminate the litter. <clears throat> Salvador Allende was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his inner office around 2 p.m. 
I often wondered about that, but we'll deal with that in a minute. At 2.30 p.m., the Armed Forces radio network broadcast an announcement that La Mañera had surrendered and the entire country was under military control. International reaction to the coup was immediate, widespread, and overwhelmingly condemnatory. Numerous governments denounced the military takeover. Massive protests were held throughout Latin America. Inevitably, the finger-pointing was directed at the U.S. government. Gee, I wonder why. In his uh, confirmation hearings as Secretary of State, one day after the coup, Kissinger was peppered with questions about CIA involvement. The agency was in a very minor way involved in 1970, and since then we have absolutely stayed away from any coups, Kissinger responded. What, he lied? Our efforts in Chile were to strengthen the Democratic political parties, and give them a basis for winning the election of 1976. Ah, yes, lies as policy. Mm-hmm. It's nothing all that new. Preservation of Chilean democracy summed up the official line, spun after the fact to obfuscate the U.S. intervention against the Allende government. On September 13th, CIA, CIA Director William Colby sent Kissinger a secret two-page overview of CIA Covert Action Program in Chile since 1970, meant to provide guidance on the questions concerning the agency's role. U.S. policy has been to maintain maximum covert pressure to prevent the Allende regime's consolidation, the memo stated candidly. After a selective review of the political, media, and private sector covert operations, Colby concluded while the agency was instrumental in enabling opposition political parties and media to survive and to maintain their dynamic resistance to the Allende regime, the CIA played no direct role in the events which led to the establishment of a new military government. Right. By the most narrow definition of direct role, providing planning, equipment, strategic support, and guarantees, the CIA does not appear to have been involved in the violent actions of the Chilean military on September 11, 1973. The Nixon White House sought, supported, and embraced the coup, but the political risks of direct engagement simply outweighed any actual necessity for its success. The Chilean military, however, had no doubts about the U.S. position. We were not in on planning, we called CIA operative David Winters, but our contacts with the military let them know where we stood and that was we were not terribly happy with the Allende government. The CIA and other sectors of the U.S. government, moreover, were directly involved in operations designed to create a coup climate in which the overthrow of the Chilean democracy could and would take place. Right. Colby's memo appeared to omit the CIA's military deception project, the covert black propaganda efforts to sow dissent within the uh, coalition, the support to extremist elements such as Patria e Libertad, and the inflammatory uh, achievements of the El Mercurio project, their version of Fox News, which agency records credited uh, with playing a significant role in setting the stage for the coup, let alone the destabilizing impact of the invisible economic blockade. Yeah, there was direct involvement. It was just a little bit, little bit sneaky. The argument that these operations were intended to preserve Chile's democratic institutions was a public relations ploy, contradicted by the weight of the historical record. Indeed, the massive support that the CIA provided to the ostensible leading uh, representatives of the Chilean democracy, the Christian Democrats, the National Party, and El Mercurio, facilitated 
the transformation into leading actors in and key supporters of the Chilean military's violent termination of Chile's democratic processes. You may also recall discussion of a track two in late 1970, which has not been included in the summary Colby wrote to Kissinger on the routing slip of his September 13th memorandum. Fundamental to Chilean generals' understanding of Washington's support was the knowledge that the CIA had sought to directly instigate a coup three years earlier. Track two never really ended. The top CIA in charge of covert operations against Allende testified in 1975, what we were told to do was to contribute our efforts, stay alert, and to do what we could to contribute to the eventual achievements and of the objectives and purposes of track two. I am sure, the uh, agent said, that the seeds that were laid in that effort in 1970 had their impact in 1973. I do not have any question about that in my mind. Assistant Secretary Kubish commented to Kissinger on the day after the coup, our policy on Allende worked very well. Indeed, in September 1973, the Nixon administration had achieved Kissinger's goal, enunciated in the fall of 1970, to create conditions which would lead to Allende's uh, collapse or overthrow. At the first meeting of the Washington Special Actions Group held on the morning of September 12th to discuss how to assist the new military regime in Chile, yeah, that took up a long time, Kissinger joked that the president is worried that we might want to send someone to Allende's funeral. I said I did not believe we were considering that. No, an aide responded, not unless you want to go. On September 16th, President Nixon called Kissinger for an update. Their conversation was recorded by Kissinger's secret taping system. Each Kissinger was recording Nixon, Nixon was recording Kissinger. Anyway, the two candidly discussed the U.S. role. Nixon seemed concerned that U.S. intervention in Chile might be exposed. Well, we didn't, as you know. Our hand doesn't show on this one, uh, though, the president noted. We didn't do it, Kissinger uh, responded, referring to the issue of direct involvement in the September 11th coup. I mean, we, we helped them, created the conditions as great as possible. That is right, Nixon agreed. Nixon and Kissinger commiserated over the fact that they wouldn't receive laudatory credit in the media for Allende's demise. The Chile thing is getting consolidated, Kissinger reported, and of course the newspapers are bleeding because a pro-communist government has been overthrown. Isn't that something, Nixon said, excoriating the liberal crap in the media. Kissinger suggested that the press should be celebrating the military coup. In the Eisenhower period, Kissinger told Nixon, we would be heroes. Well, next we're going to hear from Peter Kornblu in Chile. I managed to reach him. He was not available uh, for a long period of time, but he's down there celebrating the 50th, celebrating, commemorating the 50th anniversary of the uh, infamous coup that happened September 11th, 1973. Well, as someone used to say, now you know the rest of the story. Since the coup of September 11th, 1973, I've, I've had some questions as to did Allende really kill himself or was he murdered? And what happened in the days and weeks afterwards? Our guest coming up right now from Chile is Peter Kornblow, who is senior analyst who's worked at the National Security Archive since 1986. He currently directs the archive's Cuba and Chile documentation projects, 
Uh, he was co-director of the Iran-Contra Documentation Project and director of the Archives Project on U.S. Policy Toward Nicaragua. From 1990 to 99, he taught at Columbia University as an adjunct assistant professor of international public affairs. His most recent book is Back Channel to Cuba, The Hidden History of Negotiations Between Washington and Havana, a foreign affairs best book of the year. He's author, editor, co-editor of The Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, and The Iran-Contra Scandal, The Declassified History published by the New Press and Bay of Pigs Declassified, the secret CIA report on the invasion of Cuba. On the 30th anniversary of the Chilean military coup in September 2003, he published The Pinochet File, a declassified dossier on atrocity and accountability, which the LA Times selected as best book of the year. His articles have been published in Foreign Policy, The Nation, The New York Review of Books, Cigar Aficionado, really, the New Yorker, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and L.A. Times, among many other journals and newspapers. He's appeared on national television and radio broadcasts, among them 60 Minutes, The Charlie Rose Show, Nightline, CNN, All Things Considered, and Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Cornblow has also served as historical consultant on uh, Steven Soderbergh's 2011 biopic on Che Guevara, He's currently working on a Hollywood film with Gail Gadot and her production company, Pilot Wave, based on uh, his major article in Political, My Dearest Fidel. Here is Peter Kornbluh from Santiago, Chile. I always have a hard time believing that Salvador Allende committed suicide during the, the coup. What do we know about that? Was it for sure a suicide? Salvador Allende committed suicide. During the coup, the day of September 11th, 1973, uh, in the early afternoon, uh, it was not only the 50th anniversary of the military coup itself, but the 50th anniversary of his death for his family. This has been an issue that has been investigated again and again and again. Um, the family agreed, uh, uh, even though it knew that he committed suicide to have his body exhumed oh, wow. 10 or 15 years ago and uh, a second kind of, uh, uh, kind of post-dictatorship evaluation done and that evaluation concluded uh, quite clearly that he did take his own life. <sighs> this is something that uh, his family believes was uh, something he uh, needed to do to to stand for his country, um, he would not. Uh, he would not surrender. He would not flee. He would not go into exile, um, and he would not let himself be captured and um, abused. Uh, so he died, and um, part of his legend uh, is, is is that death. Ah. and the next question. Tell us about the days and weeks after the coup. What what was the the new government uh, doing? What what's that uh, story? A lot of attention is focused on September 11th itself, but uh, by the end of September 11th, 1973, and into the days and weeks that followed, the apparatus of repression geared up uh, in Chile under the new military regime. Thousands of people were uh, rounded up, detained, taken to the National Stadium, 
secretly tortured, assassinated, and then had their bodies thrown onto the streets in the middle of the night during the, the uh, uh, curfew. Uh, and in the morning, the, the workers of the morgue would come pick up these bodies, totally unidentified, riddled with bullets, um, take them to the morgue and, and process them. If they could be identified, their, their families would eventually be notified. Some of them were buried in secret graves. Um, it was a way of uh, the military distancing itself of, of any kind of evidence that, that it had done it that could be printed or, or proven. Mm. And that was the way Victor Cotta, the famous right. Italian folk singer, was, was killed. Shot 44 times. Oh. Uh, had his body dumped on the street. Uh, the Italian military claiming that, that somehow in the middle of the night leftists who were breaking the curfew had marauded through the streets killing people. That kind of thing. Um, the Chileans are currently waiting for the extradition of one of Victor Hara's killers 50 years later, Pedro Barrientos, who made his way to the United States and actually became a U.S. citizen. Mm. The repression in those days was uh, horrific. More than half of Pinochet's um, human rights victims in terms of murders, deaths, assassinations, extrajudicial executions took place in those first five or six months. Uh, and then the repression became somewhat more institutionalized through the creation of the Chilean secret police known as DINA, yes. uh, which had the support in its early formative period of the Central Intelligence Agency. And do we, Henry Kissinger, do we know, I mean, he certainly, at the very least, approved what was going on. Do we know uh, further, uh, you know, 50 years later about what, Kissinger's role was, and obviously he got the president Nixon to uh, to sign on as well. Quite a bit of the historical record has come out on Kissinger's role um, through the efforts of my organization, the National Security Archive. We were able to force him to return the telephone transcripts he took away with him uh, illicitly and illegally. Uh, from the White House and State Department when he uh, left government in 1977. Um, those transcripts showed a number of phone calls, including calls with Richard Nixon. Uh, your audience would be amused to know that while everybody knows that Richard Nixon secretly taped his phone calls, uh, very few people know that Henry Kissinger secretly taped his phone calls. Uh-huh. And so when the two of them talked together, they were secretly taping each other. Um, and... Uh, Kissinger, unlike Nixon, actually had his tape recordings transcribed onto paper, um, which created a mountain of, of, of historical records that were invaluable. Um, and we were able to get those those records um, eventually, years after he took them, uh, because they were the property of the American public, uh, not his. And the historical um, record. Uh, it shows without doubt Henry Kissinger was the leading architect uh, and proponent of uh, U.S. policy and strategy to destabilize the newly elected government of Salvador Allende. And he was also the leading architect and proponent and enabler of the consolidation of the uh, Chilean military regime of General Augusto Pinochet. Mm. And uh, that uh, those the support for Pinochet's consolidation was quite explicit, particularly in the first 
year, uh, but up to right up to the point where Kissinger left office. At one point, at the height of the early repression in February of 1974, um, Kissinger and Nixon sent a, a special emissary to meet with Pinochet, the deputy director of Central Intelligence, General Vernon Walters. Yeah. And Walters opened Walters opened the meeting by saying, "You know, I come bearing best wishes and greetings from." You know, President Nixon and, and Henry Kissinger uh, offering you best wishes and, and, and offering you discreet support if you need it. Um, and somewhere in that conversation, Pinochet said to Walters, well, you know, I'm creating this uh, National Intelligence Service, a secret police called Dina, and this guy Contreras is my man would you be able to assist him and assist Dina in its formative period? Oh, no. And Walter said, yes, we'll invite uh, General Contreras to Washington, and we will uh, confer with him over what kind of assistance we can provide. Um, and that gives you a, a sense of the tenor of uh, the, the Ford administration's support, uh, the Nixon and the Ford administration's support for the consolidation of the Pinochet regime, despite uh, its uh, about and clear brutality. Mm. As Henry Kissinger told his top aides when they came to him with reports of human rights atrocities, I think you should understand our policy. This government, no matter how bad it behaves, is better for us than the previous one. Mm. Mm. A few years ago, I saw a movie, and I think it was just called No!, is that that was somehow the end of the Pinochet regime? Is that right? Tell us just briefly about what that was. Well, there's a lot of information about No, both the movie and the actual history. No stands for the No Campaign, uh, which was the No Vote in Chile on October 5th, 1988, in a plebiscite that General Pinochet had kind of called to legitimize his, his regime. Uh, he has put this election into his 1980 constitution, which he forced through uh, in Chile. He had a plebiscite on that, too, and uh, basically a, a, an unfair vote um, uh, that approved his constitution. And the constitution said that eight years from then, uh, in October of 1988, there would be another plebiscite in which General Pinochet would be the candidate for president, um, He'd be the only candidate, and the vote would be yes for him or no for him. And if the yes won, he would stay on as president uh, for, I think, 17 years, basically, until the end of his life. Uh, so he'd be president for life. This would bestow some kind of legitimacy on him. Of course, he was going to skew and control the, the vote. The, the, the opposition was not going to have any real space to campaign or to do advertisements. Um, and the people on the no side uh, who wanted to get rid of Pinochet felt that the vote would be skewed and controlled by the military and they basically should boycott it so it wouldn't be seen as legitimate. But then as 1988 um, came closer, the Chilean opposition to the military dictatorship started to organize and realized that if they could get out voter registration, if they could somehow coerce Pinochet into letting them have a very brief period of time to advertise for the no, basically shame him into uh, giving them 15 minutes 
time. They could come up with a, an advertising campaign or an organizing campaign for the no uh, uh, that could actually win. Uh, and they did. Yes. Um, and uh, even though a lot of people don't understand this, the United States actually supported this. They, uh, the Reagan administration had come to believe that Pinochet was a great liability for a number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, the left was getting stronger in Chile. Um, uh, the Communist Party was getting more militant. Um, and the Reagan administration came to believe that A. Pinochet was an international terrorist who sent agents to the streets of Washington, D.C. to kill his leading opponent, Orlando Letelier, yes. um, in 1976. And that Pinochet simply wasn't in the U.S. interest anymore. Chile was going to become unstable and the left was going to return if he didn't leave soon. And so what happened on that day and that week of that vote is rather extraordinary. It's part of the declassified documents that have been circulating in Chile during the 50th anniversary right now. Um, Pinochet organized a second coup for that night. He came to understand that he was going to lose the vote, uh, and he had a whole Machiavellian plan to, to um, kind of stop... Um, about the announcements of the of the percentage of the votes that he was losing, um, provoke the the left, uh, um, uh, send his supporters into the street, um, uh, uh, have his military orchestrate a violent campaign to start killing the uh, leftists who were uh, obviously going to react to this theft of the of the plebiscite. Um, and interestingly enough, the U.S. intelligence community found out about this uh, plan about four days in advance. Um, a couple of Pinochet's generals did not want to do this. They were tired of Pinochet also. Uh, and they leaked uh, this, this plan to the U.S. intelligence and to, to others. Um, and Ambassador Harry Barnes, who was here, led a, a, an effort to kind of blow the whistle on this plan. Wow. Uh, and the United States took concerted efforts to convince the people around Pinochet that it, it was violence that night, the vote was aborted, the entire West was going to uh, declare Chile a country non grata. Uh, the persona non grata was going to be a nation non grata. Uh-huh. Uh, and the Pinochet regime, the Pinochet regime was going to be incredibly isolated. Um, and Pinochet lost. He tried to implement the plan. His generals would not follow. He asked them to sign a declaration of emergency. They would not sign it. Um, and basically, his own generals told the press that no had won. He didn't have any choice but to step down. The supporters then claimed that he was a Democrat because he abided by the vote. But the truth is, is that he had told his deputies, quote, I will never leave no matter what. He was an entrenched dictator. He had tried to orchestrate a second coup that night. That coup failed um, to a large degree because of the widespread opposition of the Chilean public uh, to any furtherance of the regime, but also because of the very, very proactive activities of the United States and uh, England and a number of other countries to pressure the generals underneath Pinochet not to go along with a second coup. Well, when he became a... Uh a burden, then they, they cut him loose. It wasn't anything to do with his behavior. One final, whatever happened to Pinochet? Well, after he stepped down from power in 1990 and returned uh, the presidency to civilian rule, he stayed on as 
head of the Italian Armed Forces oh, right. uh, until 1998. And in that capacity, he was able to basically block any serious human rights investigations into his regime's um, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. crimes against humanity. Now, that changed when he uh, went off to London and got a, uh, himself oh, arrested, uh, very famously. Yes. The Spanish court issued a, a warrant for his arrest through Interpol, um, not initially for crimes against humanity, but for acts of international terrorism. Uh, the role Chile played in Operation Condor and in the Latelier assassination. And Europe and the United States uh, had an uh, anti-terrorism convention uh, in which law enforcement agencies from different countries can ask for the arrest of suspects. And Spain used that convention to have Pinochet arrested in London and then subsequently went to the British courts with a petition for him to be extradited for crimes against humanity. Um, he wasn't extradited, but he was placed under house detention for over a year. Um, when eventually he finagled his way back to Chile, kind of feigning um, dementia right. and capacity. Um, once he got to Chile, he stood right up, and it became clear that that had all been, you know, bullshit, basically. Yes. Um, and he duped everybody into believing uh, that he was infirm. Uh, and but a very courageous judge here in Chile, within 72 hours, slapped him with a an indictment uh, for the atrocities, uh, a set of atrocities he had committed early in the you know, dictatorship. And for the rest of his life, that was in in the spring of 2000 when he came back. Until 2006, when he died, he was under one prosecution or another. Um, I think he was indicted at least three times for crimes against humanity, and he was indicted once or twice or three times for, uh, at least, for corruption. Uh, after it was discovered, he had over 100 secret bank accounts where he was hiding $28 million that he'd stolen from the Chilean state. Uh, so he, he, he lived to see himself uh, arrested, detained, interrogated. His family members were arrested, detained, interrogated. Um, and he was, you know, self-rounded by, by the pursuit of justice for at least the last six years of, of his life. Even if in the end he died before he could be actually judged and um, and found guilty. Thank you so much, Peter Kornbler. Thank you so much uh, for, for doing that. It was way more than fifteen minutes, and uh, I very much appreciate that. And uh, for telling this important story about seeking justice and some degree of justice being served. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Thank you. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple, Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.